And I want to thank you for being here. It is our privilege to have you. Again, Mother's Day is, is to me, just an extremely uh, exciting day. And I'll just be honest with you that this morning I have, as I said before, great women in my life. Um, my mom, if she ever listens to this, <laughs> um, she, she was the best mom I could ever hope for. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cry already. Because I was not the best son that she could have hoped for, I'm sure. Well, we fought like cats and dogs sometimes. And uh, I'm not allowed to tell you some of the stories because one of us would be in jail today. Um, but honestly, as I look back, Mother's Day is an extremely enjoyable day for me. Um, not because I'm a mother, but because of the people in my life. As I said before, my grandmothers, I spent a lot of time with my grandmothers. And um, they are now gone to heaven. They're in a much better place. Um, but my, my, my mom, my grandmas, um, my mother-in-law is a great lady. I'm so thankful to have her in my life. And obviously my wife, the mother of our children, so grateful for her and all the time and effort that she puts into our family and into the church here. I'm just so grateful for her. I do realize that not everyone can enjoy Mother's Day. In fact, for some people, Mother's Day may even be a, a very difficult day for you. It may even be a despised day or it may even be hurtful to you. But the fact that is that Mother's Day often brings a, a great deal of, of emotion. But I believe it's important that we don't just look at the past and just remember it. And, and maybe in the good ways or in the bad ways, but the reality is we often will look at the past and just remember it. But I think it's important to not just remember the past, but to learn from the past. To learn from some of the things that we were taught, some, some of the things that we weren't taught. I think it's important for that. We are in the midst of a crooked and perverse world. I don't like promoting that, but that's just the reality. And I think it's always been that way. We can look at it and say oh, it used to be good or the good old days or whatever. We can say some of those things, but the reality is we live in a society that is extremely self-centered and proud. That's the type of society we live in. We live in a world that is as wicked, at least in my short life, as I think I've ever seen before. Our society is becoming increasingly more and more wicked, and the Bible says that it's going to. But as society becomes increasingly more and more wicked, I believe that makes it that much more imperative for us to reach out to those people around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that with all my heart. Reaching out to people is so important. In fact, that's, and if you haven't noticed yet, the theme of our church this year is simply reaching out to those people around us. Seeing people in their need of Jesus Christ and doing something about it. And I think this is the, one of the most important things that we could do, especially in this time, in this wicked and perverse generation. And it's, it's important to do so, but let me ask you this question. If I was to ask you, who is the most important, who would you say? You don't necessarily have to answer that out loud. Okay? If I was to ask you, who is the most important person that I ought to be reaching out to in my life, who would you say? I hope there's someone that you have that you need to reach out to. I hope there's someone that you have that you need to be, be in, invest your time in and have an impact in. So who is the most important? Maybe, maybe I should ask it this way. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Of heaven. Would you turn to Matthew chapter 18 with me? Matthew chapter 18. This is the exact question 
that Jesus is asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 18, look with me in verse 1. The Bible says this, at the same time there. Uh, at the same time, the disciples came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I love this, verse 2. And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little one in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll start into this passage. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the opportunity to study your word and the opportunity to honor our mothers and the opportunity to challenge ourselves from your word. Father, I pray that today that your will would be accomplished in our lives. Help us as we consider this next generation, what we are going to do with them. And Father, I just pray that your will will be done in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. I think one of the most important things in a mother's life is her children. Pastor Stone always used to say when, you, when women are talking, the first question that they ask or very close to the beginning is not what do you do, that's what men ask, but how many children do you have? How many children do you have? And because children are something that mothers really look up to. They, 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 they wonder at it and they love it and that's the main idea of their life is to have children and to uh, spend time with their children and to raise their children. Mothers love their children. And as we look at Mother's Day and think about Mother's Day, I want you just not to think about mothers, but I want you to think about today, this morning, the next generation. The next generation. Jesus is asked here in this passage by his disciples, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And I love it. Jesus illustrates with a little child. Jesus illustrates with a little child. He illustrates his point with the next generation. Jesus thought extremely high, highly of the next generation. I believe this, mothers and fathers, parents, are the most influential characters on a children's life. They're the most influential characters on children. If there is one set of people that can have the most impact on the next generation, it is mothers and fathers. My question to you today is very simple. What kind of impact are you having? Moms and dads are literally training the next generation. Don't, don't miss that. Moms and dads are literally training the next generation. Grandmas and grandpas have an influence as well, and I am so thankful for my grandparents. The influence that they had on my life, uh, my parents would say some negative. <laughs> but man, am I thankful for my grandparents, but my parents had the greatest influence. Let me ask again, what kind of impact are we having on the next generation? What kind of impact are we having on the next generation? Again, Jesus gives us three characteristics, I believe, of children. I believe that come pretty naturally to children. 
That's why he's using them. He brings them in front of him, says, listen, I want to show you what these children are. But the challenge is this. I want you to notice in this passage, the challenge is that even as adults, we need to keep portraying these characteristics in our lives. They may come fairly natural to children, but as adults, we need to keep portraying them, not just for ourselves, but for the next generation. To help the next generation. So very simply, number one, I'll just get right into it. Number one, to increase in humility. To increase in humility. Notice with Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. And said, verily I say unto you, except ye be converted. Watch this. And become as little children. So he's talking to adults And he says, I want you to become as little children. Ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 4. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So hopefully you're following along with me this morning. He's talking to adults, and he's saying you need to humble yourself as this little child. You need to become like a child again. You need to have these characteristics of children. Jesus is instructing his disciples about the need to remain humble, as little children are humble. I want you to think about children. Children are constantly in need, aren't they? Mommy, I need this. Mommy, I need that. Mommy, can you? Mommy, what does this look like? Um, My daughter, Zoe, loves her mother. When mom's away for a certain amount of time, she'll begin whining for mom. And my first initial reaction is, does she whine like that for me when I'm gone? And all three of the kids resoundingly, as soon as I asked that question, said no, They don't. Children are constantly in need for their mothers. Constantly. A lot of times as fathers, I just feel like I'm just there for the entertainment. I really do. I'm just there to wind them up before bed, just before we put them to bed. I'm just there for the entertainment. But listen, children need their mothers. They're in constant need. They cannot supply for themselves physically. They just can't. Now, as they continue to grow, it's our goal to help them to become less dependent upon mom and more independent, right? I mean, I think that's the goal of raising children, right? We don't want them to be 18 years old crying when mommy walks away. We definitely don't want that. Okay, so we want them to become more independent, less dependent in their physical attributes. However, I believe this spiritual dependency on God ought to always remain intact. Spiritual dependency upon God ought to always remain intact. Again, we teach them to become independent physically. And that's a good thing. But what happens is typically we teach them to become independent of everything. We forget that we still need God. In this account in Matthew we see the disciples only ask the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You can see that in verse 1. They come to Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? However, in a parallel passage of this story, we see that the disciples are actually arguing about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
If you've been here in our church for any amount of time, we've been kind of walking through the Gospels, talking about Jesus and his disciples and how Jesus reaches out to sinners and all of these different things. The reality here this morning is the story that preceded this story is the disciples, nine of the disciples, were down on the, off of a mount. The other three disciples were up on top of a mount with Jesus. And the other three disciples experienced something spectacular with Jesus. It's called the transfiguration. And the other three, or nine disciples, are down in the, off the mountain, and somebody brings a, a demon-possessed boy to them. And the demon-possessed boy uh, is throwing himself around and, and foaming at the mouth and throwing himself into fires and all of these different things. It's terrible. And this father brings the son and says, will you please cast this demon out of my child? And they try. And guess what? They fail. So we have a mountaintop experience and a very low valley experience. And from that, guess what the disciples start to do? They begin arguing. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? I'm the greatest. I'm going to be sitting on the right hand of Jesus. I'm going to be here. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And they're arguing about who is the greatest. They literally came from the most amazing experience and the most really defeating experience. And they begin arguing within themselves with pride. They are not looking, excuse me, they were looking at what God had done through them as if they had done it themselves. Let me say that again. They were looking at what God had done through them as if they had done it themselves. They're like, man, look what God's doing through me. I'm pretty special. God must love me. I must be the greatest because, man, we got to go up on the mountaintop experience. I mean, we couldn't do this, cast out this demon, but before we had cast out so many demons. Look, look how special we are. Listen, is there any humility in this question at all? None. I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. They had literally lost all dependency upon God and placed all their dependency upon themselves. They needed to be humble. As this little child, dependency, dependency. Disciples, do you still need me? Let me ask you as parents this morning, are we modeling humility before our children. Let me ask the question again. Are we modeling humility before our children? Let me ask this question maybe a little bit differently. Are we modeling dependency upon God? Are we modeling dependency upon God? Again, as adults, especially as men, right? We just do stuff, right? There's no asking questions. There's no asking for directions. Man, most men outside of me, they don't even read directions, Right? You're not reading the manual trying to figure out how this thing works. You just grab a hold of that thing and you just do it. Right? And we become very dependent upon ourselves. But let me ask, are we modeling dependency upon God to our children? Let me ask this. Do we apologize when we're wrong? Do we apologize when we're wrong? Very simple. Are we willing to place God's will above our own? Are we modeling dependency? Are we willing to give God the glory for his work in our lives? 
Do we come home from work? Do we come home from a good day and say, listen, let's, let's thank the Lord for what he's done in our lives today. Hey, we just traveled from such and such a place and we made it home safely. Let's give God the glory for that. Hey, let's pray and thank God for the meal today and for the ability to be able to work. And are we modeling dependency upon God? Are we willing to be completely and utterly dependent and humble before God? Good question. Now let me illustrate personally, which I hate to do, but it gives you a good laugh usually. Not that long ago, and my son and I were playing basketball. And really, any sport. I'm 33 years old. And my son's eight. And I'm pretty proud of the fact that I can still whoop my son in any sport. I'm fat, I'm out of shape. I, I, I struggle to move sometimes. And I remember just recently we were at the park, and it was actually, uh, I don't even know if he's in here right now, Paul, Paul Cress, yeah, there he is. Paul Cress and I, and the, uh, the, I think there were four or five boys, and we, they like, dads against sons. I'm like, okay, let's go. And they're all the same age. In two years, we're not going to be able to do this. But we killed them. Like, we destroyed those little boys. And I'm like, I rub it into my son so bad. I'm probably not a very good father. But I'm like, oh, we just beat you. You guys stink. And I'm rubbing it in. And I'm, I'm just tearing him up right, left, right, and center. So this is my attitude with my son, right? Oh, I'm better than you. You stink. You know, all this stuff. Well, the Lord has a way of, you know, fixing your uh, pride and feeding you a little bit of humble pie. So I, we bought Caleb a Switch a couple years ago, a Nintendo Switch, and I, I like to try to play with him on there, and again, I'm better than him at that. Well, he had been practicing NBA 2K22, and he'd been practicing and practicing. I haven't played in so long. And he always plays with um, the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry. And he can, Caleb can shoot threes with Steph Curry like nobody's business. And literally, I haven't played in so long, and you got to time it just right. All the, old, all the older people are like, what is he talking about, right? But you have to time it just right, and then you'll be able to hit the shot. Well, he's literally killing me. And he guess what he does? He gets up and goes, oh, I'm so good. Oh, I'm so good. You stink. You stink. And I'm just going, oh. And I'll be, I'm just going to be honest with you. It was starting to grate on me. Like, it was starting to irritate me. I'm like, would he just shut up? And finally, after I just couldn't take it anymore. I hate even telling you this. I just couldn't take it anymore. I said, bud, nobody likes a bragger. <laughs> and it's Mother's Day. And my wife was sitting there. <laughs> and she says, I wonder where he gets it from. And I was just, in, and honestly, just in that immediate moment, I was like, oh, I hate when she's right. But here's the reality. I'm not leading my son in humility. And you might say, ah, that's, that's not that big of a deal. But listen to me, it's that big of a deal. My son not only needs to be a good loser, my son needs to be a good winner. And I haven't been modeling that for him. 
And that, then it begins to help me, make me think, what else am I not modeling well? What else am I not being humble in? What else am I bragging about? All of these different things begin to run through my mind. In a moment, I realized I needed to teach my son more about humility. Not just tell him, hey bud, nobody likes a bragger, but to model that for him. Monkey see, monkey do. Let me ask this question again. Are we teaching our children to increase in humility? Number two, I want you to see, to engage in kindness. To engage in kindness. Look at verse 5. The Bible says this, And whoso shall receive one such little one in my name, receiveth me. Receiving children. Have you ever noticed that kids don't exactly have prejudice like we do? You ever notice that? I notice it so often. They're, they're just pretty innocent. They're willing to play with just about anyone unless it's their toy, you know. But they're willing, they don't judge people by the color of their skin or by the way they look or anything like that. They're pretty innocent. They're pretty willing to play with anyone. Now, granted, they can be selfish. Children don't often judge people like we do. They are very innocent when it comes to judgments being passed. But let me illustrate with you a, uh, with another passage this morning. Go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. The Bible says this. And they brought young children to him, being Jesus, that he should touch them and his disciples, watch, rebuked those that brought them. When Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and Bless them. This was a very big Jewish tradition. People would bring children to rabbis, and the rabbi would bless the children, much like we would say something like a baby dedication here. And so this is what the, these people are trying to do, and the disciples are like, no, hey, you cannot bring children to the master. The master is too, quote, big to be around children. He, he doesn't have enough time to be around children, but Jesus rebukes them and says, no, 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 no. You suffer those little children to come unto me. Children are the next generation. You allow them to come. Jesus was not, quote, too big for children. He wanted them to come. And listen, we have the opportunity to be impacting the next generation to be kind one to another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. Listen, the reality is this, how we treat other people is how our children will treat other people. Let me ask you very simply this morning, are you being kind? Are you being kind? Are you modeling kindness? Whether they are children or someone else who just doesn't have it as good as we do, do we, are we kind to them? We have children here this morning, children are awesome. Well, let me ask you, what if, what if it was 
a child from Africa who lived in abject poverty? Would we be repulsed by that or would we accept that? What if it's somebody that lives on the street of St. Thomas? They don't have a home to go to. They, they haven't been able to have all the nice things that we have. And are, are we repulsed by that or are we kind to them? The reality is children in this day and age were definitely to be seen but not heard. And so these children were just little rugrats, little like keep them away. We don't want to have anything to do with them. But Jesus says, no, no, you suffer them to come. And he says, and who shall, re shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. This is receiving. Hey, it's okay. Come. It's okay. Come. If we receive even the little children, we are receiving Christ. Again, let me try to illustrate here in Matthew chapter 25, just a few pages over from Matthew chapter 18. Look with me in verse 37. be a good day for phones today. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 37. The Bible says, Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when we saw thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink, when, when saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee, or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. I think the reality is this. How we treat other people is indicative of our relationship with the Lord. I believe this with all my heart. The love that flows from God to us ought to be the love that flows to other people. We ought to be loving our neighbor as ourselves. Because of the love that we have from Jesus Christ, we ought to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus even said it this way, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love them as I have loved you. So let me ask you, just, just, it's just a simple question. Are we engaging in kindness? Are we kind one to another? I want you to look at verse 6 with me of Matthew chapter 18. I want you to notice this, this last verse here. The Bible says, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones, one of these little children, whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, watch, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Pretty strong language. But Jesus is being very clear. If you offend one of these little children, it were better that you were drowned in the depths of the sea. A millstone hanged around your neck. I can't even imagine that. But most of the time we think in this society, I'm not supposed to offend my child, so I don't want to tell them what to do. I wouldn't want to offend them, right? And our, listen, don't look at me like that. I have seen parents who will not tell their children what to do because they don't want to offend them. 
I don't want to tell them what to do. I don't want to punish them. And I certainly don't want to demand that they get any work done around the house. I would never want to offend them. We oftentimes allow our children to rule our homes because we don't want to offend them. But the word offend doesn't mean like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you and hurt your feelings. That's not what the word offend means. The word offend simply means to cause to stumble or to, listen, don't miss this, entice to sin. Don't miss this. Do not, do not entice children to sin. Do not cause them to stumble. If you do, it would better that a millstone be hanged around your neck and that you be carried in the, cast in the midst of the sea. It means to offend. You can see the same word in, in verse 8. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, if it causes you to sin, cut them off and cast them from thee, it is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. Look, and if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, it is better for thee to enter into life with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Listen, if our limbs, if our eyes are causing us trouble, if they're making us to commit sin, then get rid of them. And that's the same word here. Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones. I want you to see number three. To emphatically pursue Christ. To emphatically pursue Christ. I believe truthfully this is the basis of this passage. In order to come to Christ, we must be like little children. In order to come to Christ, we must be humble. In order to come to Christ, we must be willing to accept Jesus. You know that Jesus was the outcast of society? He was hung up on a cross with two thieves and spat upon and beaten. He was the outcast of society. Then as a little child, to fully and completely follow him. We as parents can do an awfully good job of teaching our children our bad habits. I've already made it clear what bad habits I'm teaching my son. But we as parents can do an awfully good job of teaching our children bad habits. And this is definitely something that is more caught than taught. But here's the reality. When we teach our children sin... When we entice our children to sin, when we cause them to stumble because of our bad habits, don't miss this, please. Listen, we are in danger. We are causing our children to do wrong things. Listen, don't miss this, please, because it's so important. We don't just get a free pass. That's just who I am. We don't get to say that as parents. Well, this is just who I am. You better like it or lump it. No, listen, the Bible says don't offend one of these little children. Teach them to emphatically pursue Christ. Put the emphasis not on what, who you are, but who Christ is. Don't offend. This one is one that fires me up. But I'm going to tell you, it scares the life out of me. It really does. It scares me to death that something that I will do, something that I will teach, something that I will cause in my child's life will cause them to offend. 
Because the Bible, Jesus, takes this very seriously. And I think as parents, we've gotten, kind of gotten away from this a little bit. We've kind of walked away and said, listen, it doesn't matter what I do. My children have to find their own way, which, listen, I believe they have to make their own decisions in life. But the reality is we ought to be teaching them to emphatically pursue Jesus Christ. I'm pretty excited when I get to teach my kids how to hunt and fish. I love it. I get to take them out and catch fish. And they're so excited, and I'm excited, and we're hooting and hollering, we're screaming, and we're just having a good old time. I get excited about that. But I have to ask myself the question, am I teaching them how to pray? I can, uh, my, my son and I sat down and watched part of a hockey game last night. He's asking me all kinds of questions. Uh, is that, was that a penalty, and did he do that right? Listen, we can sit down and watch a hockey game, and I can teach him about sports, but am I teaching him about the Word of God? Am I, am I teaching him how to study the Word of God? Am I teaching him how to read his Bible? Am I teaching all my children that every, and I mean every issue that will ever come into their lives can be solved biblically? Am I teaching them that? Have I showed them what a real relationship with God looks like? Or have I taught them how to sin? Have I enticed them to sin? Listen, I as a parent have the opportunity to impact the next generation for the Lord in my own home. I have a captive audience. They're not moving out anytime soon. I have the opportunity to impact three young children for the next generation. Let me ask the question again. What kind of impact are we having on the next generation? Mothers, fathers, grandparents, all of us have the opportunity to reach out to the next generation, and most of them are in our own homes. You might be sitting here today and you might be thinking, well, I don't even have kids yet. I'm a, I'm a young adult or I'm a teenager. I don't even have kids yet. Listen, start living your life now the way that you're going to impact your children later. Start living your life now the way that you're going to impact your children later. Decisions you make today will impact the rest of your life, so start living that way now. Honor your father and your mother. Listen, you might be a grandparent and say, I don't have much sway. Listen, you can pray. Oh, the most powerful thing a grandparent can do is pray. Pray. What kind of impact are we having on the next generation? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for all you do for us. Father, it's our privilege to be here this morning. Father, thank you for the challenge of my own life today. Thank you for a mom and dad who modeled this for me. Thank you for grandparents who, no matter what they did wrong, which, Father, I know they were never perfect, but they constantly pointed me to you. They would ask me how my relationship with you was. Father, would you please raise up parents in this church myself included, that would impact the next generation for you.
Because, Father, you, you've said that we got to become like a little child. Be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Help us to emphatically pursue you. Help us to be kind to every person. Father, help us to be humble. We'll give you the honor and praise and glory for it. I just pray that your will is done here today. We pray all these things in your name.